time it is. You know who I am and what I do. It's time for the Shaw's Law Podcast. I'm Rob Shaw, a.k.a. The Pod God, a.k.a. Harry Potter. Sorry for the week hiatus, but I hope you guys did check me out on the Off the Ball podcast with uh, the homie Chris LeBron over at the Off the Ball Network, because I did chop it up and talk there last week. But now let's do what we do, baby. Like, there's a lot. The NBA has just been a constant news cycle. Like, when the when the games are playing... It's go time. When the games aren't playing, there's just news everywhere. Um, I'm going to get my boy Zach Wilson on to talk about the Suns because he was one of the very first people on the bandwagon with me. And he's and he was probably more optimistic than me. So we're going to talk to Zach soon. Not today, but soon. Um... But let me wax poetic about the Suns, man. Devin Booker has been hooping. But the real story is that Chris Paul taught a master class on the mid-range game. And everybody says, analytics say not to shoot the mid-range jumper. I've always contested that the mid-range area is for your stars. Do you want your role players taking mid-range jumpers? No, you want your role players to optimize their shot profile. So three-pointers and layups for your role players. Optimize it, trays and lays. But your best players who dance and create a little bit, let them shoot the mid-range jumper because they're tougher shots, but they're shots for people that can create for themselves. And your... Star players' shot profile should probably be a little bit more diverse, unless they're James Harden, who had a sh- like the perfect analytical shot profile while he was in Houston. Second he got out of Houston, a couple more mid-ranges, a couple more floaters added to it. But Chris Paul really just taught a master class on why the mid-range jumper is important. Um, pick and rolled the Nuggets to death, got switches he liked, and then when he got that switch, he got to his area. Um, driving driving hard right for like a 9 to 13 foot pull-up jumper, um, just a little bit outside of the lane every time. But like he was getting there every time. That's where he wanted to be. That was his spot, and... They couldn't stop him from getting there. And I understand that they were using drop coverage and switching screens. You Drop coverage is like versus a guard who can really shoot it. It's really tough. But like Aiton is around the rim. And there's shooters every... Like that was quite the conundrum for the Denver Nuggets. Honestly, there weren't a lot of, like, there were eight in screens, but they weren't a lot of Booker-Paul screens. And Booker's, like, one of the other guys that worries me if, like, I give him the ball in space, like, he can really hurt me if I'm the Nuggets. 
I guess what I'm saying is I think the Nuggets probably should have been trapping those screening rolls and forcing Paul to hit the roll, man. Especially after like three or four of them where he just like, oh my God, if he can get to this spot, he's not going to miss. Trap him, make him hit the roll, man, make the roll, man, make a decision. All right, I have a shooter here. Do I throw it to the corner? Um, Can I make this 13-foot bunny? But, like, eventually you just got to get the ball out of that dude's hands. He just completely ruined everything Mike Malone and Jokic had worked for. It was... I'm really excited for the Suns. Magically, the NBA hasn't had a COVID... positive COVID test in months. The Suns reached the Western Conference Finals. Boom, Chris Paul tests positive for COVID. Like, you can't make this shit up. Like, you truly cannot make this shit up. So now, we as a basketball collective should be rooting that the Clippers and Jazz series go seven. The longer that series goes, the more time they have to get Chris Paul out of the COVID protocol and hopefully he can play. Speaking of the Jazz and the Clippers, Kawhi, the injury bug is just running around ruining everything. And I thought that it was like a regular year and my brother Jordan was like, nah, I'm telling you, man, it's it's been worse. This is worse. This year has been worse than most years. And, like, I was kind of arguing with him. And I was like, nah, there's injuries every year. Then I was listening to um, Zach Lowe's podcast, and he had um, the dude from In Street Clothes on. And he was like, no, this year has... uh, It's at 19%, but it was only a 72-game sample. And then I want to say The Athletic came out with an article saying that the All-Stars, this year's 27 All-Stars, missed like 500 and something uh, games. So Yosh was right. It's worse and like it's a condensed season. And right now, there's something with Kawhi's ACL, but we don't know what it is. We don't know if it's torn, it's a slight tear. And it's weird because normally like when you hear an ACL injury, they get you the information pretty quick. Oh, so-and-so... Tore his ACL. He's out X amount. The Clippers have done a really good job of playing this close to the vest. So we don't know how long he's out. Uh, Clearly he missed game five. And I feel like me, you, and the rest of the world thought, well, the Clippers are dead in game five because they don't have Kawhi. So why would we expect them to do, why would we expect them to win when sometimes they're not winning with Kawhi? But, I mean, I I love to clown him when he's bad, but I'm going to give him praise when he's good. Paul George had 37, 16, and 5 with a steal and the block. He was really good in that game, like. That was the game where it's, oh, this is why you thought you were playoff P. And, like, that's who showed up. Um, Marcus Morris also had 25 on 10 of 16 shooting, which is 
actually really, really good. Reggie Jackson was helpful. Terrence Mann. But, like, the, the real story here is Paul George flamed them. And this is a team that's gotten the better of him. Um, Joe Ingles was his adoptive Australian stepfather two or three seasons ago. And then... Like, I need a better Donovan Mitchell game. And I need a different Donovan Mitchell shot profile, which is something I was, uh, like, keyed in on during the game. He shot 14 threes. That's a lot. Um, The crazy thing is that's not even the most on the team. Um, Bogdanovich shot 17 threes. He was 9 of 17. But Mitchell was 6 of 19. But four of 14 from three, like, I just don't think all his shots or 14 out of 19 of his shots should be threes. I know the ankle's bothering him, but he's got to mix it up. Like, you just need more. You don't want to just turn into a completely jump shooting team, particularly on a day where it wasn't falling for him. But that series has been really, it's been fun. Um, Game six is actually tonight. I'm recording this uh, late Friday morning. So game six is tonight. In our other game six that's coming up, the Sixers blew a ginormous lead of 20-something points. And now the Hawks have them on the ropes, heading back to Atlanta for game six. Joel Embiid has been masterful for three quarters the last two games. And then I don't know if he's getting tired or or what, but he just didn't have it last game late. And when he doesn't have it, this team is... Even when Joel's amazing, offensively, this team is mediocre, average. Like, who were... I've never been a big Tobias Harris guy. Like, he's good. But I've never been the biggest Tobias Harris guy. And he wasn't even good uh, in game five. They had a giant lead. And I think that's going to get buried because they had a giant lead and they blew it. But... He played 37 minutes and had four points. And he's definitely supposed to be your second guy behind Joel Embiid. Thank God uh, Seth Curry, not Steph, Seth. So if Steph is Chef Curry, I guess that makes Seth Sue Chef Curry. Like assistant Chef Curry. Busboy Curry, whatever he was, he was hooping. Sue Chef Curry was going nuts. He had 36 points along with seven rebounds, and he was just really, really good. Joel Embiid, really good until late in the fourth. And I don't think the Philly situation helps itself with, like, so many guys that can't be on the court together. Like, it's already a weird marriage between Ben and Joel Embiid. 
but then since Joel has a three ball, it works a little bit better. But like you can't throw Dwight out there because he's not him and Ben are just in each other's way. Um, Diebold's cool. I still, I don't know if it's my Kentucky homerism. Break the glass on Tyrese Maxey. The dude is a gamer and a scorer who can, like, put the ball on the floor and do things on his own. He played one minute in game five. I just... Doc, you need more scoring. Like, Seth and Joel have got to carry it. I guess I'm being a little hard on Tobias Harris, but Tobias Harris is... Tobias Harris might be one of those guys that uh, the media always wants to make everybody. Oh, is he uh, good stats on a bad team? Tobias Harris is okay stats on a good team, but I don't know how impactful he is. Like, I never really be feeling like, damn, Tobias Harris did it tonight. He's just there he's like not a net negative but not a net positive he's uh, the prime meridian he's he's head above water you're not floating but you're not sinking uh, like he's just okay like he's good but not great man it feels like i'm trying to kill him and i'm really not i just don't think like if somebody were to say Oh, Zach Levine is not a winning player. I'd argue, no, Zach Levine might not have been in a lot of winning situations. If somebody were to say Tobias Harris might not be a winning player, I don't know that I'd completely agree with that, but I also don't think he has a major impact. Like, I think he, when he's good, hey, it's helpful. When he's bad, it sucks, but it doesn't, he doesn't move the needle. I guess that's a roundabout way of saying Tobias Harris does not move the needle for me. He's just there. He's he's Reggie. He's mediocre, subpar, average. He's he's like really an average good NBA player. Like I think a lot of guys in his position could do what he does. Man, I just killed Tobias Harris, and I didn't mean to. Like, I didn't come into this pod with the intention of, well, let me fry Tobias Harris up. And then we have to give a lot of credit to the Hawks for winning this game. Like, they didn't fold. Trey Young almost had a 40-burger, but he didn't shoot great, but he didn't fold. John Collins, 19 points. He's trying to earn that money that he thinks he's worth. Um, Bogdanovich wasn't great and they're still missing um, DeAndre Hunter this man we are one Hawks win away from oh man like what a rebuild and like their, their expectations for next year are going to be through the roof like this was a hey, if we can beat the Knicks, we can sneak into the second round and then we'll probably lose to Philly. And now it's, we're 48 minutes away from being in the Eastern Conference Finals, well ahead of schedule. And next year, the expectations are going to be ginormous. No matter how this series ends, 
there will be big expectations in in Atlanta. They have a star, borderline superstar in Trey Young. Um, DeAndre Hunter was really developing. I haven't sold all my Cam Reddish stock. And Nate McMillan is coaching his ass off. And he's taking some risks. Um, I never thought I'd see Lou Will and Trey Young out there at the same time. But then again, I what can the Sixers do to punish them? Like, the Sixers don't have enough offensive firepower to punish them for that for such a crummy defensive backcourt. Um, the big game was... So we've had... The last time we spoke, we hadn't had games five and six in Nets, Bucks. So let's start with game five. Down 16 at half. James Harden is playing, but not really playing. And Kevin Durant just decides, y'all not going to mean me. Like, KD literally, at halftime, he turned to his Nets teammates and said, yo, James, you haven't played since... 12 since 11 minutes and 50 seconds of the first game of this series Kyrie got hurt and you know I'm Kevin Durant and I'm sensitive I'm on Twitter I saw them making the memes about well LeBron did it with this and if we lose this game especially if we lose by damn near 20 they're gonna fry me so what I'm gonna do in this second half is carry all you bitch-ass niggas to the promised land. Every last one of you. You see these scrawny shoulders? Just get on them. I'm a carry, y'all. And then Kevin Durant proceeded to put his dick on the table. You know what sound that is? Nah, more. 49, 19, and 10. Man, we got to double down on the dick sound. Oh my God, that was the ultimate Kevin Durant dick on the table game. They couldn't do a goddamn thing with him. Mid-range jumpers, assists. Um, Jeff Green, he he showed his dick too a little bit. Like, I wonder was Sam Presti watching that? Or were Seattle fans watching that? Like, damn, this is what could have been. Like, they drafted Green and Durant together. And then for them to have, like, a moment together in the playoffs almost a decade and a half since they were drafted. Um, What is that, the 2007 draft? And we're in 2021, like, almost 13, 14 years from then. Like, was really special. And... So two things. One, I think this series, this is a weird spot to be, but it's, I think the Bucs have confidence issues. I think had they lost game one in Miami, that that series would have went much longer because I don't know that they would have felt they had the, they could beat them, but they won that one and that skyrocketed their confidence. And then they swept the heat. 
Then they got drugged in games one and two by Brooklyn. And I don't think they thought they could beat them. Then they eked out a win that I, I, I still kind of think they should have lost game three. It was a hideous game and the Nets still almost won that with everybody shooting bad. But they got the win and then boom, confidence up. They beat the Nets in game four. So now um, it's 2-2. Two, two. And it looks like they're about to run away with game five. But then what happened? Kevin Durant's meet right on the fucking table in game five in Milwaukee. No, I'm sorry. Game five in Brooklyn. And that was an epic performance in that. I hope that quiets people because there has been a lot of talk like. All NBA, all good NBA players play with other good NBA players. But Kevin Durant's list of superstar teammates is very, very high up there. Like, it's up there with, I'd probably say Shaq. Like, Shaq has played with really elite players in in their prime. And I'd say Kevin Durant's list is like that. Um, LeBron's list... If, like, you just go by names, LeBron's list is nuts. But, like, you got some of them need context. Like, LeBron did play with Shaq. And while you can say, damn, Shaq played with really good LeBron, you can't say LeBron played with really good Shaq. But Durant's list? Russell Westbrook, prime. Um, James Harden this year, prime. Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving, prime. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, prime. Um, Dude's got a really good list. So this is the first time we got to see him. Nah, the homies ain't with you. What you gonna do? Well, he the bell rang and he answered it. But in game six, the Bucks held down their home court, forced the game seven. Giannis... Giannis had a dunk at the end of the game on Jeff Green that was so Shaq-like. Like, he got an offensive rebound. It looked like he stepped out. He didn't. And then he just hammered it home with the right and kind of hung hung on the rim. And it was so powerful and Shaq-like. And I was like, yo, there was nothing they could do with that. But the real story was the Nets kept cutting the lead to five. And anytime they got it to five, Chris Middleton was like, nah, nah, not today, not this time. He gets fouled on a three-pointer by Joe Harris. Um, he had, like, a mid-range post one when they caught it, and, like, the Bucks just kept making runs. Like, the Nets would cut it to five, and then the Bucks would go on a 10-0 run. Then the Nets would go on a 10-0 run and cut it back to five. And every time they got within five, Chris Middleton refused to let that shit happen. Like, he was super impressive last night. And I'm not an in love with Middleton guy, but last night, like, when it was time when the you could feel the Nets making their runs or pushing and, damn, if they get a bucket here, the pressure's really going to be on the Bucks. He just didn't let that happen. He never let it get that close, and the Bucks wind up winning by 15. Um, Durant 
really good again, but needs more help at this point. Like Harden, five of nine, three of six from deep. But like his numbers, uh, he's not he's not James Harden. He's not explosive. He's not a threat to go to the basket. He's sort of playing. He's obviously playing much worse than Donovan Mitchell, but like how I complained about Mitchell not being himself, like that's definitely what we're seeing with Harden. He's clearly either a step slow, not just a step slow, but like mentally he's not as sharp as he normally looks like. That some of the turnovers he had, he just would not have. Like he normally threads the needle better or the pass is more on target. It's just a little behind or a defender gets a hand on it. But if the Nets want to win this one, they're going to need Harden to step up. And I'd love an update on uh, Kyrie's ankle. Like, will we see the... Would Game 7 be the first time we see the full big three versus the Milwaukee Bucks? And if so, how healthy are they? Now, granted, Harden looked much better in Game 6 than he did in Game 5. But he still wasn't James Harden. He might have been 60, 50%, maybe. I know it's weird to put a percentage on, but he didn't look all that great. I'm not Steve Nash, but I think you might need to break the glass on Mike James more. Like, you need another creator, somebody who's not afraid to shoot the ball. I know he hasn't been with them long, but, like, that's who Mike James is. And when, like, you look at the rest of the bench or the rest of the team, like, after, if Harden's not going to be himself and Kyrie's not playing, it literally leaves just Durant and then nobody else can really get theirs. Like, Mike James can get his. I... If Kyrie's not playing, I'd like to see more Mike James in Game 7. Like, go out swinging. Don't leave Durant on an island by himself to score all the points. <sighs> all right, let's get into off-the-court news. Stan Van Gundy, Stan Van Gone. One season in New Orleans, showed him the exit. Great. He'll be back on TV. I liked him on TV. Um, this coincides with... I guess we'll just tell all these at the same time. Because Donnie Nelson and Rick Carlisle are also out in Dallas. And on a lesser note, Scott Brooks is out in Washington. But the two I really want to focus on are Stan Van Gundy and uh, Rick Carlisle. Because not only are they both out but there's been reports that the superstars of their respective teams are already unhappy like Luca apparently Luca and Carlisle had issues as it was but the Mavs are worried that Luca might leave not on this contract but on the next one he'll sign the Supermax you know why he'll sign the Supermax because no one turns down the Supermax to play on the qualifying offer I don't know what you numbskulls don't get about that. Like, when it happens, I will eat as much crow as you want. But nobody turns down the Supermax to play on the qualifying offer. Might they do something funny with the years? 
maybe, but we haven't even seen that. So I'm not all the way convinced that that's going to happen. But that's, like, once you sign a rookie, like, honestly, rookie contracts might as well just be for, for elite guys, rookie contracts might as well just be for nine years. Like, you get four, and then they sign the five-year extension. And maybe they don't all sign the five-year, but no elite guy has ever walked away from his team after his rookie contract since the um, restricted free agency and the qualifying offer have been in there since that collective bargaining agreement. Um, Cause there are times where that has happened that um, uh, I believe that's how Shaq wound up in LA. Oh, rookie deal over. Yeah. I'm out of here, baby. Um, what else am I looking for? Zion is unhappy. Do we think Rick Carlisle, does, if Carlisle still wants to coach and I have a vacancy? Man, if I'm uh, the Benson family, I believe that's who owns the Pelicans. I get Ricky on the line. Rick, come on down to NOLA. Get a little bit of this crawfish and gumbo. See what this Zion and Brandon Ingram pair is about. Um, he's no uh, Carlisle's notoriously tough on point guards, so it'd be interesting to see the Lonzo thing. Lonzo's free agency is interesting. This is going to be a very fun off season in the NBA, but in New Orleans, as well as Dallas. Lastly, we had a trade. Minded my business, early Friday morning, get a tweet, notification. Who? But Wojci McWojwoj, Adrian Wojnarowski, hits us with the Celtics are trading Kemba Walker, the number 16 overall pick in the 2021 draft, and a 2025 second round pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder for Al Horford, Moses Brown, and a 2023 second round pick, sources tell the ESPN. First thing I do, Woj get hacked? Let me see if Shams got it. Shams ain't got it. But then there's another tweet from Woj, and I realize this is real. And I'm like, damn, Kemba. They got rid of Kemba. So from a Celtics perspective, you bring back Al Horford, who I don't think they ever wanted to leave, but I think this was more about getting rid of Kemba. Remember... Al Horford left the Celtics to go to the Sixers and then him and Joel Embiid sucked together and the Sixers shipped him to OKC. And now the Celtics have traded back for him. And they got rid of Kemba's contract. Um, I want to say Horford has a one year less than Kemba on his contract, so they get rid of that. And... But more importantly... The Thunder have three first-round picks right now. So my initial thought is, A, Sam Presti drafted three MVPs once upon a time. Um, his draft track record hasn't been spectacular since, but he's also made some good... Um, I believe Darius Baisley is him. Um, Lou Dort is him. So he's still a good drafter. And they now have three cracks. My first thought is if they don't get the number one overall pick, they're going to try and package those three picks and whatever else they do 
to get it because they're probably in love with somebody. My guess is Cade Cunningham. So you try and do whatever you can to get that player that you're in love with. And I'm assuming Sam Presti is in love with somebody. Then maybe it's not Cade Cunningham, but you use those picks to get who you love in this draft. For all we know, Cade Cunningham, uh, not Cade Cunningham, Sam Presti loves uh, Jalen Green. And he's like, we're going to get him. But now you have three cracks at a potentially really good player. You have your own pick, the Celtics pick, and I don't remember where the third pick comes from, uh, probably the Clippers. If I, if I had to guess, it's probably a Clippers pick, actually, from the Paul George Kawhi deal. So that Clippers pick isn't going to be great, like probably like 24, something like that. But if your pick is in the top five and then you have 16 and 24, you can probably move 16 and 24 to get down to 12-ish. And then let's say you have one in 12, one in 12 in a deep draft. You already have your point guard of the future in uh, SGA, but he's also shown that he can work with another uh, ball dominant guard. So him and Cade would be really fun together just because they'd have nice size, um, some defensive versatility, and both of them can play on or off ball. As far as Kemba, I don't, see him staying in OKC I'd imagine he gets moved sort of I don't know what they do to move him his contract is so crazy and I guess that's the next point uh so once the news breaks boom my group chat lights up it's the Stanfield brothers from the stance pod make sure you subscribe to the Canadian homies those are my fucking dogs so our group chat lights up boom and we get to talking and we come away with there's no such thing as an untradeable contract in the NBA anymore. Like we saw John Wall and Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook and now Kemba Walker and Al Horford. All of those were thought to be unmovable albatrosses. Yet here we are. They moved them shits. And so at this point, I don't think there's a contract that is unmovable in the NBA. All right, this was short and sweet. I just wanted to get my thoughts out to you guys. Look for another pod probably this weekend. Like, I, I hate going long stretches without potting, so I'm here to double down. We have two really exciting games tonight in, what do we have? What do we have? We have the 76ers at 7.30, Sixers Hawks from Atlanta as well as at 10 p.m., we have Jazz Clippers in Staples Center. So, this has been the Shaw's Law Podcast. And like that, we out.